All right, this is lesson number three on the principles of faith. We've been covering this for the last two weeks, and it's a critical thing that we come back and always keep our faith brushed up, or even just the concepts of faith. It doesn't really matter what you are part of in life. If it takes skill, you have to train and keep training in it. I think about uh, the police and the fire, the first responders. They constantly train and keep training, even though it's what they do and what they know. When I was in the secular realm as a geologist, we had to do continuing education stuff. Even if, even if my, the certain states I was licensed in as a geologist, even if they didn't require it, my company did. And they would send me to California or to Atlanta or to, I went to St. Louis once for a rock slope stability and sinkhole and karst mitigation and the highway, blah, 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 blah. You have to keep training in anything to stay current with it. Same with faith. Uh, like uh, the late Brother Hagen would say, whatever you're not up on, you're down on. So you have to stay brushed up on stuff. And you, they can say it's like riding a bike, but if you haven't ridden a bike in a while, then you hop on a bike, let's say after five or 10 years. Yeah, you, you got the balance down, but you find after about five minutes, what you're sitting on is not conditioned. And the way the muscles move are not conditioned. And, you know, lots of folks go on vacation, they rent bicycles and they go, oh, it's nothing. And they'll be sore for a month after just a little two hour leisurely, you know, bike ride up and down the boardwalk. So you have to stay conditioned. We have to stay current. And that includes faith. Faith is active and faith causes change and faith is never satisfied. You can tell when your faith has grown stale because you begin to get satisfied. Now, biblically speaking, we are commanded to always be content. Philippians 4 says be content or, or I've learned contentment. Hebrews says be content with such things as you have. But the Bible never teaches satisfaction. In that regard, Mick Jagger was accurate in his song, but he, of course, is not biblical at all. The only time you can be satisfied, and the Bible teaches us this of Abraham, the only time you can be satisfied is when you're ready to die. In fact, the Bible says, and Abraham died and was gathered to his grave in a ripe old age, being fully satisfied. Amplified says fully satiated. And what that means is he, has, he had no more desire for anything else. Faith has an appetite, and it's always wanting more. The good news is with biblical faith, it's always wanting more of God, more of the kingdom. It wants to win more souls. It's, it's looking to the next mission trip. It's looking to the next offering. It's looking to the next program. Uh, anytime your faith begins to wane, you, you begin to grow docile and you begin to lose uh, uh, value to the kingdom. Not value to God, but value to the kingdom. Kingdoms must, the kingdom must be built. God doesn't need to be built. You're going to be valuable to God, but that doesn't mean you're valuable to what the kingdom is advancing. And so we must keep our faith brushed up and current so that we can continue to build this kingdom and be a viable source in the earth today. Hebrews 11 is often called the great hall of faith. It lists great Bible heroes and what they accomplished by their faith. Let us see what others have accomplished with their faith. Uh, Hebrews 11 says, now faith is, and so now faith is, and we have this list. So what we're going to do with this lesson, we're going to look at all the things faith did, because even though we have a great list of champions of faith, and they were all active in the faith of God, what their faith did was totally different in their life. And that's why, as, as Corinthians says, we don't compare ourselves among ourselves, because in doing so, the Bible says we're unwise. We all in here have faith and we all operate in faith to serve Jesus Christ, but my faith builds a local church and takes mission trips. Your faith might build a business and raise four boys. 
Uh, somebody else's faith might go on and get a PhD and start uh, a great uh, physics institute by the faith of God. So we don't look at each other and say, well, Mr. Greg, he, he's got faith and he's, he's, he wants to start a business. Well, well, that's what I should do with my faith. That's not what that means. Or, or the Bedus, you know, they, they do artwork and they go back to Africa a lot. Well, well, they've got faith and so maybe I should go to Africa. That doesn't necessarily mean that. What we need to understand is faith is always looking for the next assignment from God. Faith is not given to be passive. Faith is given to be active. That is evident from the hall of faith. We're all familiar with Hebrews 11, the chapter. And not a one of it says, by faith they sat. By faith they drew a pension. By faith they just waited to die. No, no, when they did die, it says these all died in faith. Having not received the promises, but being fully persuaded, having seen them afar off, they confessed that they were strangers and sojourners in a foreign land. So let's look at this. Faith obtains a good report. Now that's what the Bible says. Uh, By faith the elders received a good report. Now there's good reports in the land and there's bad reports. And faith will receive either one. In the book of Numbers, the, uh, they sent the 12 spies into the promised land. Ten of the spies brought back an evil report. And by faith, Israel received it. By faith, they trusted 10 spies who said, we're not able. We can't do this. We're grasshoppers in their sight. We're grasshoppers in our sight. And by faith, the children of Israel, having not seen it, believed it, received it, and uh, died. So whether you do or don't, you're still in faith. But what we want to do is by faith receive a good report. The good report is the Bible. The good report says we're well able. The good report says you will succeed. The good report says go up and take the land. The good report says you're healed. The good report says you're prospered. The good report says you're forgiven. The good report says you're well able. The good report says you're more than conquerors. By faith you receive it or by faith you can receive, you're never going to. You're not good enough. God could never forgive you. You're right, it is too hard. You're right, you shouldn't have to do so much for God. By faith, you can receive that report too. And honestly, our life is a result of the faith that we possess. Somewhere along the line, you believe something and it has defined your life. You believed your mother, hopefully she was good. You believed your father, hopefully he wasn't an idiot. You believe the bully or you believe the guy that encouraged you in fifth grade. And to this day, I think we're all adults in here. We're all older adults, except for maybe one or two. I think we can all look back and see there's still middle school in us. There's still maybe uh, 1985 Christmas. We're joking about we built this spaceship here because I wanted one. Never had one as a kid. Nobody built me one. So now that I'm in charge, I built one. And now I live through eBay to get all the toys my parents would never buy me as a kid. That still affects me, apparently. Now, there's still a little bit of our childhood in this, and it's still affecting us. All of us are very much affected by how our parents raised us, and we're trying to get the victory over a lot of that. We believed it, because children believe anything. And Jesus likes that. He said, you must have faith like a child. But at some point, you've got to grow up and realize, I invested my faith in something stupid as a child, and it's time to divest. It's time to pull my money out and invest it in the Word of God and stop believing all the lies of mom and dad if they lied to you. Stop believing the lies of Jamie Gein, the the jerk bully from eighth grade, and start believing what the Bible says. The problem and what's going to make it a little tricky is, depending on your age, you maybe have believed that in your heart for 40 years, and now you got to stop. 
And it's like an old, it's like a broken leg you've learned to hobble on. And now God wants to reset the thing. And it's going to take a lot of work to teach your muscles to behave properly when it would just be easier just to let it be turned out of the way and keep hobbling. Well, I know it isn't perfect, but I've gotten this far in life. My pastor Trey used to say, the time's going to pass anyway. You might as well do something productive with it. Time's going to pass. You know, he, he said that. That was 10, 13, 14 years ago. I wish I'd listened to him and started studying other languages 14 years ago and picked up the trumpet 14 years ago. Where could I be with another language or a trumpet if I'd listened to him 14 years ago? Where could you be 14 years from now if you'll listen to faith today? In your life, in how you view yourself, how you view your spouse, how you view your potential, where could you be 14 years from now? Because God's going to give all of us time to get this right. And then one day we'll die. And he will look at us and say, I gave you the time to get it right. Why didn't you get it right? And I don't know if excuses get to come out in heaven. I don't think the Lord permits that kind of stuff in heaven. <laughs> I think you'd open your mouth and it's just a vacuum, a void. Because <sighs> the Bible says every tongue shall be stopped. Every mouth shall be stilled. Every tongue that rises up in judgment shall be condemned. I don't know. Faith obtains a good report. And so the Bible's full of them. So find one that you need and receive it and obtain it. It doesn't say it believes it, it says it obtains it. It's one thing to believe, it's another thing to obtain. The Bible says of Hebrews, these believe having not obtained the promises. Faith obtains the good report. Faith offers a more excellent sacrifice or offering. So faith is always giving an excellent sacrifice or offering. That doesn't equal a dollar amount. That faith is the ingredient that makes a widow's mite worth talking about for 2,000 years. Or a lack of faith is what makes the, the Pharisees' multitude millions of dollars offering worth scorning for 2,000 years. So faith get, makes a sacrifice excellent. Faith makes, uh, it makes anything you do for God excellent, whether it's a little bitty thing, whether it's a great big thing. Without faith, what you do for God will never be excellent. We must uh, learn this and realize that even if all we have is two pennies to come down here and put in the offering, by faith, that's an excellent offering. Or you can have a $10,000 check and say, well, I guess I ought to. They've been sh shaming me long enough. Oh, well, there's nothing excellent about that kind of offering, even if we can take that money and do a lot of mission work with it. Faith pleases God. And so without it, we're not pleasing him no matter what we might, what we might be doing. No matter what country we might go to, no matter how many we may win for Christ, without faith, we're not pleasing him. It just works. There's no evidence that that donkey, Balaam's donkey, had any faith going. There's no evidence that donkey pleased God. It was just a remote control thing. God doesn't want to make us remote control. God wants us to please him out of our own will and, and volition and desire. And when we do that by faith, that pleases God. He wants us to look at him like a father and say, yes, father, I really don't want to, but I, I want to obey you. That pleases God. Even if you don't want to, at least tell him, Lord, I don't want to, but I'm going to because I know it pleases you and I love you and I want to please you. Faith moves you to action. And this is in reference to Jonah, excuse me, Noah, uh, by faith. The Lord warned him, and by faith he moved into action. When you believe what's being preached, or you believe what the Lord's telling you in prayer, or you believe what the Lord's telling you through the Scriptures, you act on it. Faith has an action. Faith isn't just collecting more information in your head. Faith is doing something. When you know something needs to be done, faith gets up and does it. Faith doesn't procrastinate. 
Procrastination means there's a void of faith. The German proverb says, tomorrow, tomorrow, not today. That's what all the lazy people say. We might say, tomorrow, tomorrow, never today. That's what all the faithless people say. We have to make sure we're acting in faith and we're, we're, we're keeping it alive. I read, uh, maybe it was uh, Lester Sumrall. I was listening to him. I can't remember whose quote, quote it was. He said, uh, we're to live by faith, not just do exploits of faith. Some Christians live by faith. Everything they do is by faith. Others only brag about the occasional exploit of faith. Well, let your whole life be the exploit of faith. Let your whole life be the action of faith. Instead of saying, having, well, one time back in 93, I witnessed to someone. That's a great exploit of faith. It ought to be your daily life. Well, one time I gave this sacrificial offering. It freaked me out. What year was that? Well, that, was, that, was, uh, that was after Reagan re- received the second nomination, but that was before the election. Uh, so that had been um, 83. All right, that's great. It's a great exploit, but that's not living by faith. Faith has a call to action. In any good church where you're trained, you already know what to do. You, you know what to pray. You know what to declare over your life. You know how to fast. Faith knows how to get active. Uh, if, if I start to put on a little bit of weight, I know what to do. If my pants start to get a little snug, I already know what to do. The question is, am I going to do it? If I, if I start to, if my credit card limit or, or, or account goes up because we use the credit card to travel, I know exactly how to fix a credit card issue. But it doesn't mean I'm doing it. Faith will do what it knows to do. We could even argue if you're not doing what you know to do, do you really know to do it? Is there really an element of faith there? Whatever you're doing, you do by faith. And the Bible says we're to be doers of the word. Faith will save your family. Uh, the Bible says faith moved Noah to build an ark, and by faith he saved his family. And so your faith will save your family. Your faith will save your marriage. Your faith will save your loved ones and your extended ones. Just live it in front of them. You can't always witness to your loved ones because they still see you as the heathen they knew you as. But you can live it in front of them and let them see the life change and just expect the glory of God on your life to convict them. That even pagans know righteousness when it comes around because demons do. They were always chasing Jesus down, picking a fight, and then saying, please don't torment us before the time. Well, if you'd have stayed over there, demon, we'd have never bothered you. But even the heathen do it. They'll come and they'll pick a fight with you just to ask you not to uh, convict them or to go away. Faith will save your family, though. If you'll live by faith, you'll have great kids. If you'll live by faith, you'll have great grandkids. If, they'll let you, if you'll let them see you live it and not just talk about it and, and not just put a bumper sticker on your car about it, but let them see you actually live this thing out, you will be the family shaman in pagan terms. Oh, I think most of you may already be. When the pagan cousin from Oklahoma needs something, he calls you up because he knows you live clean and holy. When, when the pagan uncle or the pagan niece needs something, they'll, they'll make sure, uh, make, hey, ask Uncle Chris, can you, can you get Cousin Chris to pray for us? I know he's that preacher. Can you, get them, can you have his church pray for him? They know who to go to. Because they see you live it by faith. But it saves your family. Faith obeys God. That's enough said right there. If you got faith, you'll just shut up and obey God. You're not going to talk God out of his will. God is not open for a conversation. I hate that modern term. God is not open for a conversation. 
He's got all the people who had a conversation with God, in the end, God still got what he wanted, even if he had to replace them. Our conversations and our feelings and our fears do not move the will of God. They don't change the will of God. God will help you. He'll give you a fleece if you want it. He'll give you a, a Deborah if you want it. He'll give you some mighty men of valor if you want it. But he's going to get what he wants. And if you ultimately pitch a temper tantrum like Moses, his wrath will be kindled against you and he'll find a replacement if he needs to. He's going to get what he wants because he's God. And faith just says, yes, Lord. Tell you, the best place to be is in line with God. The best place to be is even if you're terrified, saying, Lord, I'm terrified, but I trust you. Uh, let me just follow right behind you. You lead, I'll follow, and, and you, have, you have to help me. And you know he will. Verse 9 uh, in Hebrews 11 says, faith steps out of its comfort zone. He, he sojourned in a foreign land. That means he journeyed and lived as a gypsy, as a vagabond in a foreign land. Faith doesn't look for a comfort zone. Faith is always getting out of its comfort zone. Too much of the time, flesh nature propels us and motivates us to build a comfort zone around us. And when you know the Bible, you'll even use scriptures to justify your comfort zone. And yet, faith here in verse 9 talks about Abraham obeying God and traveling in a foreign land. At this time, Abraham's 75 years old, which is a pretty good retirement age. He's very, very wealthy, so really doesn't have to do anything the rest of his life. If he's this wealthy and has this much peoples that he owns as slaves, the, the household runs itself. And yet, he has another 50 years left to serve God. And it's not going to be comfortable because he's going to leave his retirement palace to live in desert tents at the age of 75. Now, I say thank God we don't have to live in tents today. And thank God we don't have to ride camels and uh, eat sand with our breakfast. But what we have to do may be just as uncomfortable, just less sandy. But faith steps out of its comfort zone. Amen. Which may mean, you know, some people that may, may mean drying up the excuses. Some folks don't know how to live without an excuse. Faith restores barren wombs. Now again, I'll pause here and point out, faith has done something different in all these people's lives. And yet the Bible's very clear, this is all faith. Faith will restore a barren womb. If you need a baby, it'll give you one. The Bible says, by faith, Sarah received strength to conceive. The word strength there in the Greek is dunamis. So we could say, we could read it very accurately, by faith, Sarah received a miracle. Dunamis is translated miracle or healing power or, or signs and wonders. By faith, she received it and got a baby. So, you know, Brother Sumra would say, wherever your faith is the weakest, that's where you need to study the most Bible. And so you just stay in it and stay in it and stay in it until you got faith to, to receive whatever you need. Faith receives miracle power. Faith passes tests. That might go back to uh, never being satisfied. Faith is not happy just flunking. Faith is not happy getting a spiritual GED. Faith is not happy just going to Tennessee Tech. Faith, faith wants the PhD from MIT. Faith wants the PhD from Cambridge. Faith wants the PhD, not to put down tech, I got a degree from there. But I think we see the point. Faith passes tests. And when faith fails the test, it says that's not acceptable. Let's get back in the books. Let's get back in prayer. And let's study this thing and come back and hit it again. Wonderful thing is God's going to keep testing you till you die. He doesn't tempt you, but he will test you. 
I think it's neat because we don't just have to have reward. We don't just get rewards in heaven. There's a millennial kingdom coming based on the Bible, based on the teachings of Jesus Christ. And we're going to get to rule and reign in that millennial kingdom based on how we pass tests now. So it's not just passing a test for test passing sake, but it's also passing tests to make sure we're not pushing a kosher hot dog stand through the streets of Jerusalem in the millennial reign, like some Christians will. Street sweeping in Jerusalem or Calcutta or wherever, because there'll still be people to rule in the millennial reign. That's why it's called a reign. I want to make sure I'm at least, you know, somewhere in the government level. I don't want to even own my own business in the millennial kingdom. I want to be ruling and reigning with Christ. I'm convinced many Christians we've never heard of will be the world leaders in that millennial kingdom. And the great names, they may not even be there because they've given into so much perversion. Faith passes tests. So whatever you're facing right now, pass it and move on. I hated tests, but it always meant at least a new challenge. You can beat it, put it under your belt and go on. But you're going to have tests the rest of your life. Faith pronounces blessings. Faith says, boy, we're blessed. Faith says, boy, that's awesome. Faith declares, my kids are sharp and powerful and my kids are diligent and faithful. But faith also pronounces cursings too. We might could add that as a caveat because to both bless and curse, you have to have faith. You have to declare a thing believing it'll be established. And uh, I need to, as a pastor, come back and teach our church again on faith confessions. And maybe we can do that a little bit on Sunday nights because I'm starting to hear our mouth slip. And we're saying things like, that just kills me. That just tickles me to death. That just is sick. That makes me sick. God's going to judge our mouth for that. The Bible says every idle word that man's spoken, he'll have to give an account for. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. You know, just might as well go ahead and say, that just puts cancer on me. (laughs) Ah, I don't feel so good. Yeah, we wouldn't dare say that because you got enough pagan superstition in you, but we will say that just kills me. That's a curse. And we're declaring it because we're not even aware of what's coming out of our mouth. Isn't it amazing? We're supposed to be 21st century mature Christians and we're not even aware of what slips out of our mouth. We gotta be more astute. You're aware of where your feet are. You're aware of where your hands are. You're aware of where your pants are. You're aware of, you know, something's breathing or something, my hair doesn't feel right. When I take a nap on the couch or I fall asleep on the couch, even as short as my hair is, I can feel guinea pig hair when I get up. You know, little patches in the back. I wake up. Yeah. For all those feelings, we can't feel stupid come out of our mouth. We're not aware of curse coming out of our mouth. And the person we curse the most is ourself. I can't do that. It's just hard. You can have what you say. I, uh, now for some folks, this is a new teaching. It seems very superstitious to you, so it should be right up your alley because you live in Middle Tennessee. We're some of the most superstitious people. I've never seen a region so much worship the dead. I mean, this region goes and decorates graves and goes and has services at the graveyard. We release stupid balloons to some dead person who's either in heaven or hell. The balloon's going to get caught up in somebody's ultralight, kill a bird. Yeah. Years ago, I was in, uh, when I was doing judo and jujitsu, I really injured my leg doing something in jujitsu, and I had a huge knot that was so painful. I, I thought I'd shattered, not shattered, but uh, uh, fractured, uh, hairline fractured my shin. And 
I, w- I was hyper faith back then. I could speak to anything. And it was, it was so bad, I said, I'm not going to the emergency room. I'm going to speak to this thing. And I, could, I had it hobbled home and hobbled and hobbled. And I just spoke to it. And the thing was massively swollen. And uh, in about two or three days, I was perfectly fine. I, I, it was still swollen, but the pain was gone. And I could, I could move on it. I could walk on it. And uh, I was riding with a friend, and we were going to a restaurant. And I was driving, and, and we were kind of bickering. We were cutting up back and forth. And I, I pulled up, and I said, all right, I'm going to get out and get in here, and you can go park my car for me. And they said, no, you're going to park it. And I said, no, I'm not going to park it. Park my car for me. And I don't know why. We're just being stupid. And, and, and then it got heated. You know, guys, guys can get heated. And uh, I said, look, I injured my leg. I can't even hardly walk. And I said, so you're parking it. And as God is my witness, I got out of that car. And like the two weeks of healing I had instantly gone. And it probably took me six weeks to recover from there. And I'm amazed at how many Christians are that selfish to use their sickness or their handicap or whatever it is as an excuse to manipulate people. And it terrified me because as soon as I stood up, I went, I have just violated everything I've ever been taught. And I have it upon me. Like Job, that which I have said or feared the most has come upon me. And I had, I had nearly beaten this severe injury on my, this leg down here. And just through one de- declaration of selfishness and manipulation, it all came back on me. And I hobbled for weeks and weeks and weeks. That's why we got to be careful with our mouth. We're aware when our hair doesn't feel right. We're aware when it feels like we got a hang coming out of our nose. We're aware when maybe something's not tucked in, but we're not aware when we're destroying our life with our mouth. Faith declares a blessing. And that's why you have to be on alert. The Bible says put a guard over your mouth. Uh, yeah, guard it. What else does faith do? Faith is not afraid of wicked rulers. Boy, we need that today, don't we? Faith is not afraid of wicked rulers. Verse 23 says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. So this is talking about the faith of Moses' parents. It says of these parents, we don't even know their names. They were not afraid of the king's commandment. Wow. We need that today. Uh, We should not be afraid of the president or the congress or the Supreme Court. Most of them will end up in hell where they belong because they're God mockers and Christ rejectors. They're not, they don't belong there because of their stupid decisions. They belong there like the rest of us because we're sinners. We're not going because we're born again. They're headed there because they are purposely rejecting God and have given over to the spirit of Antichrist. Faith is not afraid of wicked rulers and we're not gonna be either. Faith refuses the world's accolades. Now, that'll help you dry up your Facebook addiction. So many folks get on Facebook wanting the world's accolades. Who was I listening to? There was a quote that said, the early church endured the world's beatings. The modern church can't handle the world's tweetings. That's powerful. I, was gonna, I said, I, I agree with it, but I'm going to change it. The world, the early church rejoiced over the world's beatings. The modern Christian can't even handle the Christian's tweetings. We're we're such, you know, we maybe not you and I, but church, generally speaking, has gotten so weak. We're afraid of what people are going to say on social media. 
Well, if you're going to be on there, squawk, make a loud noise. They can't physically touch you. That's one of the beautiful things about social media and one of the ugly things about it. So just get on there and stir up a stink. Just stir it up and put the gospel out there. The, the social media can be used to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ or the gospel of selfish narcissism. It's up to you. Amen. So uh, refuse the world's accolades. Jesus said, be careful when they speak all manner of good about you. Faith chooses to be a people of God. Moses rejected his Egyptian inheritance to be counted worthy to walk among God's people. We, you and I have a decision, and it's going to get, uh, I think if we'll, if we'll make the decision now in these early stages of this persecution that's coming upon the church, we'll be so far committed to Christ, we won't want to be anything like the world. But the longer you wait to make that consecrated decision in your heart, the harder it's going to be to, you know, it's almost like if you don't make the transition in traffic soon enough, you, it's going to be harder to cut across all those lanes of traffic, maybe back up the exit ramp, pull up the kind of median thing there, maybe do some four-wheel driving. It's going to be harder and harder. And you may just say, I'll just get on at the next exit. You may not be able to. It's the day we live in. Faith is not afraid. It decides, it chooses to be called a people of God. Faith refuses the pleasures of sin. Did you know it takes faith to beat the temptation of sin? But the Bible encourages us that there's no temptation, but that is common unto man. You and I don't face anything a billion other people don't deal with every day. Amen. You and I, we're not facing some sin that nobody else has ever faced before. They're not inventing new sins. Ecclesiastes says, that which is, it will be again. There is nothing new under the sun. But the Bible goes on to say in Corinthians there, it says, but with that temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. So faith rejects the temptation. Faith chooses the exit ramp. So in one instance, we stay on with God. In the next instance, we get off with God. But we don't choose sin for nothing. So the next time you're tempted with whatever your familiar sin is, realize that's a test of your faith. Will I choose to obey God? Will I choose to receive God rather than the pleasures of sin for a season? Whether it's two minutes of chewing somebody out or five minutes of looking at something you shouldn't or, or you know, the monthly payment because you swiped a card when you shouldn't have, whatever your thing is. Faith chooses to reject the pleasures of sin. Let's keep going here. We're looking at everything faith does in the great hall of faith. Faith esteems reproach and persecution to be great riches. You know that's got to be faith. To say, boy, you know what? I feel poor. Why is that? Did you get fired? No, nobody's persecuted me in a little bit. I think if you use your social media right, you'll produce a lot of hate. And you ought to. I like what, I think my pastor, maybe he was quoting Dr. Billy Graham. He said, let him talk about you. Just don't let it be true. I like that. Let them talk about you because they're going to. Just don't let it be true. Let them say whatever they want to. Just don't let it be true. And I've also had to learn, not just through hearing, but through personal experience and walking it out, don't worry about defending yourself because your enemies won't believe you and your friends don't care. And you, you guys are my church. Anybody could come and bring any accusation against you and I, I honestly wouldn't care. 
I'd still love you. I'd still take care of you. I'd still preach to you. If it was true, if I discovered it to be true, I'd still try to restore you if you wanted help. Uh, Luke told me an awesome psychology joke. He said, do you know how many psychologists it takes to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb has to really want to change. <laughs> we can help anybody as long as they really want help. So, you know, somebody could say, you know, you raped 15 people and shot somebody. I'm going to say, well, I guess I'm going to be visiting prison a lot, but I'd still love you. So don't worry about defending yourself. Furthermore, God, the righteous judge, knows all anyway. What is there to defend to him? He knows everything. He knows what you did and why you did it and what you thought when you did it or whether you did it at all. So don't worry about it. Faith esteems the persecution and the reproach to be great riches. We ought to be excited because you and I, we're about to start getting into some serious wealth. Amen. Uh, yeah, amen. All the pastors, all the great pastors I know, they're gearing down for what's coming. Forsake, faith forsakes the world. These are acts of faith. Uh, you know, as I look at you, I think all of you got great faith. You've all been doing almost all of this. You move with action. You want to save your family. You obey God. You step out of your comfort zone. Many of you have received babies and when you wanted them. Uh, you pass tests. Pronounce blessings. Not afraid of wicked rulers. Refuse the world's accolades. Sometimes we're discouraged that we don't have much faith, but we're just halfway through this list, and I think a lot of this defines almost all of our lives. So be encouraged in that. Forsake the world. Faith keeps the commandments. I don't understand these folks that say we're done, the Ten Commandments are done away with. That's, uh, that's ludicrous because you wouldn't vote for a murderer for president. Uh, America votes for liars on a regular basis, apparently, because it's called politics. Uh, we vote for adulterers, too, pretty much. One thing I will give President Obama, he appears to have been faithful to his wife the whole time. Not like those other guys. Not even the Republican guys. So you got to give him that. He knows how to be faithful to his wife and his two daughters. And he seems to really love his girls a lot. And I can appreciate that. Uh, you can't uh, lie, cheat, steal, perjure yourself. Those commandments haven't been done away with. God still says, I'm the only God. Worship me only. So which of the Ten Commandments has been done away with? None of them. In fact, to be led by the Holy Spirit, you'll do all of them. In fact, any time you're led by the Holy Spirit and you want to do any of them, God will be grieved with you. And you'll be led by the Holy Spirit not to do the Ten Commandments. Amen. All right. Faith walks with God through new paths. Uh, that's what old people and religious people hate is new paths. Wait, no, no. Anybody here remember the Piccadilly? Deep Southerners know the Piccadilly. That was a restaurant. There's still one or two left. I have to go to Florida to find a Piccadilly. We went to a Piccadilly on vacation in Florida a couple years ago. Piccadilly was a buffet, family eatery, and uh, you could count on the food always being the same. And at the end, there was always Jello with a little thing of uh, whipped cream on top. No new path there. And Piccadilly taught me as a boy hairnets. What's on their hair, Daddy? What's on their hair, Mom? That's a hairnet. Why? Loud enough so everybody can hear. Why? So they don't get a hair in our food. Yeah, Piccadilly. Piccadilly, old people love Piccadilly. You know that's right. Because it's the same thing. <laughs> no new paths there. You don't exactly, not to pick on old people because we all get set in our ways because I understand it. But you don't exactly go to like a, 
some kind of like jazzy Thai, pad Thai cuisine place and see a bunch of blue hairs in there. Do you? No. You see young folks because blue hairs don't care for the pad Thai jazzy cuisine. In fact, some of you are going, what is jazzy pad Thai cuisine? I don't know, making it up. I don't think I want to go there. That's a little too new for me. <laughs> yeah, but faith's not afraid of new paths. Eat where you want to eat. I don't care. I'm just using it as an example. Eat where, eat where you want to eat, but faith is not afraid of new paths. It's not afraid of trying something new that it's never done before. And we take that one from verse 29, where it says, by faith they passed through the Red Sea. They'd never done that before. The Red Sea was always a border uh, perimeter to them. By faith, you destroy strongholds. Jericho fell down. We don't have any literal Jerichos to fight, but you might have one in your heart. You might have one in your mind. Uh, you might have one in your marriage. You might have one in a relationship. You tear down that wall by speaking to it, by marching around it, by shouting at it. And it doesn't come down instantly. Jericho had to march for a week. And on the seventh day, they had to keep their mouth shut, <clears throat> which you know was a miracle because it was half women. Amen. He didn't want them cursing themselves. Shut your mouth and then, but I'll be so, but, 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 but Joshua, I'm a woman. I know, I know. That's why on the seventh round, the Lord says you can shout and get it all out. And the wall came tumbling down. So faith destroys strongholds. It doesn't build them up in your life. So if you have some faith, you can destroy some strongholds in your life. Strongholds can be how you view people. Strongholds can be racism. Strongholds can be animosity. Strongholds can be unforgiveness. Strongholds can be lust. It can be greed. It can be, lots of times a stronghold's a relationship thing. Tear it down. By faith, uh, faith receives the word and peace. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believe not when she had received the spies with peace. Faith just believes and receives peace. Uh, that's one of the greatest things that we, we're lacking in this day and age is peace. I have a lot of denominational pastor friends and we ha often have sometimes conversations they want to ask me how I feel about tongues. Do, the, you, know, do, do, uh, do you think that makes you better than us? I said, no, absolutely not. I said, I know lots of tongue talkers that don't have what you have. What's that? Peace. You may not speak in tongues, it just means you're missing out. We may speak in tongues, but we're, we don't have joy. We're missing out. You know, you can speak in tongues and be as big as a house. You lack self-control. So one of the things we need is peace. Faith receives the word, and as Psalm 119, 165 says that I quote all the time, great peace have they which love thy word. So when you lack peace, it really, according to the Bible, I don't understand exactly how it works, though I do, but we won't have the time to make the connect. When you lack peace, it's because there's a, there's a lack of the word of God working in your life, a lack of the love of the word of God working in your life. A lot of the peace we, we lack right now is because we are offended. 165 goes on to say, and nothing shall offend them. A lack of peace means you've been pulled offside. You're offended. You're in offense. And you're offside. You're out of your place. And so you're terrified. You, you're fearful. Well, just be based on the word of God. If you're always afraid of what people think about you, there's no peace there. Who cares what people think about you? What does the word say about you? You can get so busy with what God is saying, you don't care what anybody else has to say. I've got, you guys know, I've got the two little girls, and I can, because we do so much, I can, it's not good, and I'm not saying this is right, I can sit down at dinner, and my mind is still going, got to get this, got to get that, about to go to Iceland, got to do this trip, got to do that. And Lydia will sit here and say, Daddy, 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 
that every dad knows what I'm talking about. Daddy, da, da, da. And my wife will say, honey, she's talking to you. Yes, she is, isn't she? Um, yes, sweetie. See, you can get so busy hearing what God has to say, it doesn't matter what goes on around you. And even the world, even somebody said, Pastor, do you hear what they're saying about you? They are saying something, are they? Yeah. And then brush them off. But if you're always worried about what people are saying about you, if you're always worried about what people think about you, you'll never have peace. You have to love God's word, and by faith you receive the word. Not just study it, not just know it. Receiving and studying are two different things. I used to, I studied the martyrs a lot. I don't receive any of that. Don't want it. So we're not talking about studying the word. It doesn't say, great peace have they which study thy word. It says, great peace have they which love thy word, or law, and nothing shall cause them to be offended or stumble. So as long as you and I are worried, and it can be a tremendous lifestyle, a worrying lifestyle, what do people think? What do people think? You won't have peace. And if you don't have peace, it will really break your life down. Did you notice that disease is spelled dis-ease? And the doctors tell us fear and stress put all sorts of sickness upon our life. Amen. Even I know a lot of folks, even when I, when I had viral meningitis, the doctor said, you got, you got to take off of work. You're too stressed out. Your immune system's shot. I can even tell pastoring, we get in super busy seasons, my immune system begins to shrink back and symptoms begin to come on me. And I just got to chill, which is hard to do when you're driven. Faith subdues kingdoms. Amen. Faith works righteousness. Notice faith has a work of righteousness. Faith isn't just a theoretical Christian knowledge. We've got to get away from that and do the word. Pray. Speak to our mind. Be busy in the kingdom of helps, the ministry of helps. Be, be busy about tithes and offerings. Be busy about prayer. This is what I mean to do the word. I'm not talking about social gospel. I'm talking about biblical gospel. Faith has a work of righteousness. Faith obtains promises. That sounds like our first point. It obtains a good report. You can tell you're in faith because you're getting more and more of the promises of God working in your life. And here's the deal. The promises you, may, you obtain, you're going to have to obtain them again, but in a new arena later. You obtain peace today, great. Something bigger is coming in a week, a month, a year. It's going to require a bigger level of peace. You got joy today, great. But there's going to come a need for greater joy. You, you, you fought a Goliath today, great. But there's coming an army of Goliaths. <laughs> yeah, so it never stops. This is a kingdom of perpetual increase. If God is God and he's infinite, he's ever expanding. He declares a thing, it expands. It's like those, uh, those animals we used to buy as kids in the little pill. You throw them in the water and they just ever increase. And you, you, know, you think, what science says it should stop? Mama, the gator, we used to get the gator. The gator fell in the bathtub, mama. And you know, it'd stop about this big, but as a kid, that's a big rubber gator. And it started off this big. Your life ought to be ever expanding like that. Faith stops lion's mouths. Now, thank God we will probably never see a lion but at the zoo. I've got to see him in Africa, and that's pretty cool too, and got to actually pet him in Africa. Now, you never point the mouth end. You pet, you pet the other end. Not the far end, but there in the middle. That's a safe place. But one of the allegories in Psalms David uses is that of young lions. Young lions is a Hebrew expression for loud mouths. That helps you understand in Psalm 91. 
the, the young lion and the adder thou shalt trample underfoot. He prayed in a couple other psalms, deliver me from the mouths of the young lions. It's not talking about a literal lion. David killed those like they were nothing. Remember, he grabbed it by the beard and smote it in the head. What's he worried about young lions for? <laughs> it's an expression for loudmouths, slanderers and gossipers. So it says this, it stops the mouths of lions. Faith shuts people up. You don't have to go do it with a fist. You do it in prayer. I just had to come through some stuff. In fact, it's kind of bugged me a little bit. A couple of my friends have called me up. Uh, actually, then Cousin Phil was with me. He prayed. One of the things he just prayed out of nowhere, Lord, stop the mouths of those that are slandering Cousin Chris and let people realize it's not true. And I think, what is going on when my Baptist cousin is praying this over me? And then I had another friend call me up and said, I feel led to pray for you, Pastor Chris. And he began to pray protection over me. And as he prayed, I thought, all right, what's going on? And he said, I, I see it, protection from these mouths slandering you. All right, so time to get out the Bible and start praying scriptures that quench the mouths of lions. Real lions don't have a problem with me. These slanderers that hate Christian people. Usually, most of them are dirty Christians. Heathen just say, he's a man of righteousness, she's a woman of righteousness, they serve God, I don't, who cares? It's the, it's the dirty Christian that's the best slanderer. Amen. Uh, faith quenches the violence of fire. Could be fiery darts. Pray, I believe, would to God, we never see have to be burned alive. But we know some of our brothers and sisters in Christ are facing that right now in uh, the peace-loving Muslim regions. Yeah? Just a side note on Islam, all you have to do is look at where Islam has been and how prosperous are those regions. If it were not for oil, they'd have nothing. Even in Jerusalem, those that choose to be Muslims live in third world poverty. Islam is a pagan religion of darkness and it keeps people in darkness. When you worship devils, you have them. I believe there's some of them are very good meaning people. Steve-O was telling me he was witnessing to a Muslim yesterday. Last evangelism. And Steve-O was just trying to talk to this Muslim man about Jesus. And he said, you know, Jesus, he was using the classic apologetic point. Jesus was either who he said he was or he was a lunatic and a, and a nut job. Oh, no, 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 no. He was a prophet. This Muslim's defending Jesus. And he was a prophet. Under the Old Testament, he was just a little, a lot more than a prophet. He was the son of God. But they really, they have a faith. And Steve-O's point was, it would be so easier to win them than a white person in America. Amen. Amen. So, quench the mouths and the violence of fire, whether it's fiery darts, the burning lips of a slanderer. Faith escapes murder. Amen to that. Got too many stories to tell on that, not personal stories, but stories of friends of mine. I will tell you one. Friend of my, a guy I had lunch with, another friend. I've tried to keep up with him. He's a missionary. He was taking a boat in the Philippines off to some deserted islands or rear rare islands, and he rented this little charter boat, little bitty boat. You can imagine what it's like in the Philippines, little rental boat, little charter fishing boat, going 30, 40 miles out into a smaller island. And he said he's on the front of the boat just watching the water, and the Spirit of the Lord said murder to him. He said, Lord, now you tell me before I get on this boat, murder? And he begins to pray. He said, so I prayed in tongues, 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 and realizing I shouldn't have gone out on this boat by myself to go to this island to preach. And he said, uh, he said I turn around and look at the, the guys running the boat and nod at him, and they nod at me. He said, I turn around nervously. He said, well, I got to the island, preached the gospel. It was a Muslim island. The Philippines are uh, about a third or half Muslim. 
So preach the gospel. All the men came because they make the women sit separate because they're misogynistic and don't have respect for women. The men sat. He preached. He said, the spirit of God came upon me. He said, I told those Muslims. He said, if Muhammad could speak to you today, he'd say, I'm burning in hell and you must listen to this man who's come to you. And he said, that came out of my mouth and I said, Lord, you're gonna murder me. You're, you're gonna murder me. He said, that village gave their heart to Christ as did the fishermen on my boat. And they admitted on the boat ride back, we were gonna take you out to sea and kill you and rob you. <laughs> That's why we took you. Because we looked at you and said, you're an American. Let's take him out. We'll kill him. Nobody will ever know. We can rob him of what he has. Faith will quench murder. So what are you afraid of? If you don't walk with God, you ought to be terrified. But if you know the Holy Ghost, he'll protect you and he'll lead you. Faith is made strong in weakness. So I never want to hear about how weak we are. I don't think God does either. In fact, the Bible says you're weak, say you're strong. We even have a song. Let the weak say I am strong. Not to make fun of it, but you know, we sing it, but we don't believe it. So it's a command. You feel weak? The Bible says shut up. Say you're strong. I can't. That's not what God wants to hear. Faith fights valiantly. Faith turns the enemy to flight. Faith raises people from the dead. Amen. These are everything faith does. It's an awesome list. I want you to see that it's different depending on where you're at. Faith is not a one-trick pony. Faith can do it all depending on where you're at. And this is what God wants to accomplish in our life. We may not have to do all those things, but I guarantee you we're gonna do probably at least half of those things before we go home to heaven. So be encouraged. You guys have more faith in you than you realize, but it shouldn't ever grow weak or grow out or or, or fade away. It should ever increase. Father, I thank you for Sunday school. Bless this church. Bless these lessons. May our faith glorify you and accomplish great things. In Jesus' name, amen.